0: Welcome to A Podcast But Evil. I'm Doug Leaf. I'm Dan Oster. And this week we're talking about the Dark Lord Sauron, the titular Mm. Lord of the Rings.
1: Doug, watch your language.
0: Excuse me. <laughs> the titmouseular <laughs> Lord of the Rings.
1: But you know what? Before we get into that really quickly, we're trying to be diligent and remind you, if you want to show your support for the podcast, if you're enjoying what we're doing, we're going to get this out very quickly. If you can go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for us, that will show your support and we'll really appreciate it and we'll read it on the air and we'll mail you a, a naked photo of Doug.
0: Oh, great. I, I, don't know, I have so many. What am I going to do with them?
1: <laughs> that's what I was saying. I was going to do you a favor.
0: Right. Just offload those. Right. They're not going on eBay for anything. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah. So that's out of the way. Now, yes, Sauron, the big bad from Lord of the Rings. Yeah.
0: Dan, what do you know about Sauron? without having studied for this test.
1: Uh well, once again, I want you to know in honor of the podcast, I refused to study. Mm-hmm. I ignored the urge I had to to really hunker down. So this will be off of the movies, which I saw when they came out and have seen since. I have seen the extended cuts. I'm one of those weirdos that prefers the extended cut. Hmm. You know, more dwarven singing. No, that's the that's the Hobbit I think that has all the like dwarf songs. Anyway. Yep. Sauron. What do I know about Sauron? Well, he. Uh, he okay. Well, he lives in Middle Earth, which mm-hmm. is. By the way, I want I want to get this straight. I was I got in an argument with Jen recently about this. This is what. Oh, okay, does to great. It was it was whether Middle Earth referred to like a, lo- a a geographic location or an era. It's both. Ah. Um.
0: As far great. as my understanding That'll is, that will settle nothing. Yeah. My, well. So Middle Earth is is a location within the world of Lord of the Rings. It is where all the principal action of The Hobbit and the three Lord of the Rings books takes place. Um, so it's part of a continent that's um, part of the world of Arda. Oh. But th- it is also meant to be some sort of intermediate. Like, it does take place in... Middle Earth is our Earth, just at a an earlier point in time. according you know, A time that is now lost to us.
1: Well this is really what was the heart of the debate because when you're talking about oh would this happen or would this happen I'm like yeah well you're evoking an era I know it's a fictional era but you're evoking a medieval era so you can sort of use that as your tool set um, and that's what I was saying like Middle Earth it's like a certain time a period of our history and then she was saying it was a certain like location and I was and so there you go so it's it's
0: both it's a little bit of both it kind of is a, uh, another analog to this would be like Hyboria
1: from, right, the, Conan from the, the Conan
0: the Barbarian. Right, which is like a lost period of time that supposedly, uh, like I don't know, 10,000 years ago was the Hyborian Age, and all of the mm-hmm. ruins and all the relics from that time are lost to us. But
1: A long time ago on a continent far, far
0: away. Yeah, although Middle-earth would be a much, much longer time ago, in theory, uh, for Tolkien. Okay, right? well, we, we can yeah, maybe you're...
1: dig into that deeper if you want to tell us a little bit about that. All right, so the, Sauron, his reign was in and around and during Middle Earth. Uh, these, of course, are stories written by J.R.R. Tolkien, written in, like, I want to say the 40s, late 40s? I believe the
0: 50s. Or, so yeah, 50s. The books are published in the 50s. I, I could check that, okay. but yeah, right. somewhere well, You know, He was thinking about it, after. It's was, after World War II. I know that it's after World right, War II. Right, because
1: uh, that was a huge influence, obviously, on, on these works, armies of darkness attempting to take over the world. It's so
0: on everyone's and, mind. Yeah, and Tolkien himself served in World War One, uh, mm-hmm. and served at the Battle of the Somme, which was the ugliest. I mean, World War One was one of the ugliest wars ever fought, and the Battle of the Somme was one of the ugliest battles within that war, and that horror definitely stayed with Tolkien and informed. Um, the, you can c- kind of track how World War One informs The Hobbit, um, because the the war th- at the end of The Hobbit is kind of a clusterfuck, the way World War One was. And The Lord of the Rings, The War for the Ring, is more like World War II in that it's bigger in scope and a little more organized and the stakes are somehow even higher. And so you you can kind of map a few things onto World War II as you go. But anyway, Sauron himself. Well,
1: by the time I get to Sauron, um, I'm fresh out of high school (laughs) and Mm -hmm. he's... He is become this sort of distant figure now. I mean, I think he was embodied, you know, he had a corporeal being. But the time I get, by the time I get to him, he has already become this eye in this tower in the heart of Mordor, which is where all the bad shit is. He, but prior to that, he had distributed these rings of power among the various races, the elves and the and man, A- 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 i.e. humans, uh, and dwarves. I forget the exact number, doesn't entirely matter, but he gave rings of power to the leaders of each of these races, and he had he maintained the one ring to rule over all of them, correct?
0: Correct. That's, that's mostly correct, yeah.
1: Right. So he basically subjugated these leaders, but he was going to be in charge, and he was going to rule over all uh, with his dark power via these rings. And um, I forget. You can probably tell us what. Oh well, they became the Witch Kings, right? The humans do. Yeah, the, the humans, humans did.
0: The leader okay. of the the le- so he gives nine rings to the human kings. the 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 leader of those human kings, that like the highest among them, becomes a character known as the Witch King of Angmar. But all nine of them succumb to the will of Sauron and become wraiths. Um, these kind of undead servants that do they they have almost no will of their own they purely right. live to serve sauron and right and so they yeah.
1: they're these shadowy figures that you see you know flying around on horseback in the movies and stuff like that okay anyway so he he this is part of his plan but there's a war there's an uprising against sauron at a certain point he is uh, defeated he this is where he goes away for a while um and and the ring of power is lost, right?
0: Critically, it's cut off of his hand, which is what causes him to die. We should mention the the One Ring. The way the One Ring gets its power is that Sauron has essentially put his soul. It's a Horcrux. He has put his soul and his power into this ring to like right. amplify it. But the weakness is, yeah, once it's cut off his hand, he he basically goes with it into the void. And then the ring falls into the hands of of Isildur, the human king, who uh, cut it off of him. Yeah,
1: this is like the uh, you know seventy eight Camaro he's got in his garage, and he's working on it. Every weekend, he really just puts himself <laughs> into it, you know. And then, the, and
0: then there's there's a battle, and it gets there's a in picture of a Valkyrie like airbrushed onto it. Yeah, right? it's, yeah. it's so sweet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and anyone who beholds
1: it, you know, is, is under his thrall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the ring is lost. Uh, the The human uh, who defeated him was
0: Isildur.
1: Is Isildur? I'm I know I'm I'm butchering the pronunciation. But, uh,
0: we're both going to butcher. Terrible. Uh, yeah, uh, quick. Disclaimer for this episode, both of us are going to butcher a shit ton of these Tolkien-esque <laughs> names. And uh, and I'm also, I'm sure, even when I try to get some of the the, the finer details right, I'm going to get a bunch of this stuff wrong. So, <laughs> nerds, you got to chill a little bit. I'm doing my elves best.
1: And those who identify as elves, mm. we apologize. I'm <laughs> doing our best.
0: I've seen all six Peter Jackson movies. I've seen the extended editions of the, of the Lord of the Rings ones. I've read the key books, but I, the the vast majority of the deep lore on Sauron comes from a book that Tolkien put out called the Silmarillion. And the Silmaril, while the Lord of the Rings books and the Hobbits are novels, the Silmarillion reads more like an encyclopedia. Um, it's it's less of a story and more of a history. Um, so I've Got, I've done my, my Cliff's Notes research on it. I'll do I've, my best to get this across. people but, yeah. say that
1: J.R.R. Tolkien came, came up with these stories as a place to put the languages that
0: he invented. That's actually true. <laughs> he was more interested in those
1: languages because he yeah. was a linguist as well. Correct.
0: He was very interested in language. Yeah, as in yeah. particular, like uh, things like Old English. You know, the, mm-hmm. like if you read Beowulf in its original form. Uh, It's not like the English we speak today. So he was interested in that kind of stuff. And so he invented the Elvish and Dwarvish languages that you hear in the books.
1: Which are complex and, I suppose, actual languages that, that, that function. Right. It's like Klingon.
0: Yeah, it's exactly like that. And we'll get you just as many ladies if you know how to speak (laughs) it.
1: Exactly, exactly. Now we're on the same page. All right, so Ring is Lost. I should probably just move through it quickly because you have more detail than I ever will. But the Ring is Lost. It's uh, uh, found by uh, Smeagol. He becomes Gollum because he's corrupted by it. Then that ring passes to Bilbo, who is a Hobbit, and the Hobbits are these the Halflings. They are a charming uh, race of creatures that live in the Shire, and they want nothing more than to just basically enjoy life and be pastoral wonderful emotional creatures
0: yeah they just live in the basically the, uh, the english countryside for lack of a better word they're like farmers and agrarians and they're yeah you know, they live a very comfort uh, comfy little lifestyle being hobbits far away from virtually all of the drama um from the world and right. they happen to be about three feet tall so they're physically not <laughs> and, imposing and, you know,
1: i mean i don't know how much of this is Tolkien and how much of this is peter jackson Uh, but I found them to be such charming characters. And what I loved about their relationship with all the other races was everybody agreed. uh, The dwarves and the elves and the humans, they can't agree on anything. They can agree that we have to protect the little ones. You know what I mean? Like, we, they need to be protected. And I just, like, I think that's so wonderful. There's such an analog for children, essentially, these innocents. You know what I mean? And uh, I just, I always like that.
0: Yeah, that they're not warriors. And also, there's no, there's really no grudges between the other races and the hobbits. Because the hobbits are sort of off by themselves. They interact with humans to some degree. They very rarely interact with any of the other races. They do, but, but pretty infrequently to the point where there aren't these, like, like the or the, the the dwarves and the elves are always portrayed as having this like long running like you know awkward relationship at best. They're not they're never they're not much at war with each other, but they never trust each other. They you know uh, it's an uneasy alliance at all times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um,
1: much like the world. And so uh, Bilbo, of course, the hero of the Hobbit. But I'll advance it along this this ring via Gandalf gets passed down to his nephew, right, Frodo, right, and um, and this you know leads to the formation. I'm obviously zipping through because we're supposed to be talking about Sauron, but this leads to the forming of the Fellowship, which is nine people selected at the Council of Elrond, uh, in in wherever that Elvish place is, and Rivendell, in Rivendell, Dale, Rivendell, and they no, not uh,
0: Riverdale, that's, Riverdale. that's our yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Jughead was there. (laughs) Sent forth.
1: (laughs) Mr. Weatherby. And you Um. shall have my pointy hat. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. A lot of questing, a lot of awesome stuff happens. Ultimately, uh, Sauron is uh, defeated because uh, Frodo. Spoiler alert: Frodo is able to cast the ring into the fires of Mount Doom, where the ring was, I believe, forged. Right, uh, melts it down. Sauron. I'm sure Sauron's never really gone, but he's, you know, eliminated. And uh, and there you go. And there's about three more endings in that movie, but uh, basically that's it. And so Sauron, interestingly, occupies this space that like the devil seems to occupy a lot in the story. You know, he's he's not or Cthulhu.
0: I mean, he's he was not, the one I was thinking of a lot. Yeah, because he's yeah, not
1: super active in these stories. His presence is constantly felt, and everyone's aware of him. And he seems to be pulling the strings behind the scenes. But there's not like a scene where he's like, "You idiots." Yeah. you fools <laughs> get me that ring
0: <laughs> yeah he so, is a, yeah you're right he's, Scarier. he is an influence um more than a personage although compared to something i was like worried cthulhu, you were gonna say he was an influence <laughs> oh yeah uh uh hashtag one ring to rule them all um <laughs> anyway all right so yeah no you're right he's he's he is behind the scenes but he's more active than say cthulhu is right we you know, we're aware of his influence and his it's more concrete. Like he is building an army. And we get the sense that everyone's like especially in the movie, they do a good job of kind of yes, he's in the background, but they show you his eye, you hear his voice from time to time.
1: But it's really like hard to discern what he's even saying. You know, it's like it's right. very shadowy and
0: garbled. And sometimes it's not even in English, it's in uh, black speech. Ah
1: yeah. yes, the black speech. That's right. It's sort of the forbidden tongue.
0: It's, yeah it's an elvish dialect that is like more guttural and harsh sounding it's what kind of the orcs speak his uh right his like ruined dark elves that serve him
1: it's like when Welsh people speak with lots yeah. of like
0: yeah. w- words with it are like three y's in a row and a bunch of D's
1: <laughs> i was just trying to pick. who can I <laughs> pick on that won't be upset yeah. anyway yes
0: uh yeah I I like the way that Sauron is portrayed in the movies because it's it's a nice balance because in the books, you still get that, right? You still get that he is a proactive villain, although he is essentially in the Phantom Zone. Like he is, his physical form is lost. He's in what what Tolkien refers to as the void, mm-hmm. um, and he is trying to regain a a more fulsome physical presence. And he needs the ring to do that. And sort of like we talked about with um, the the ruby slippers in The Wizard of Oz, the ring is a MacGuffin that if he we can't let him get his hands on it. If he gets his hands on it, it's game over.
1: Now, the MacGuffin is a term that I believe Alfred Hitchcock coined, which is uh, just like an object that sets a plot into motion.
0: Right. Like so for Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's the Ark. But it could be the anything, right? It's the right. thing. Although the one ring here is a little more fleshed out than just that. And the One Ring is a great way to kind of bring Sauron to the forefront because of its effect on other characters. So Frodo has been bequeathed it as an heirloom and he is carrying it. And the story is constantly reminding you of one, we're not entirely, you know, you can't trust the ring. You don't know how much Sauron is actually able to see and hear via the ring. We know that the ring is this corrupting force like nothing else, right? That, like, Gandalf, like, Frodo at one point early on says, like, well, Gandalf, you take the ring. And he's like, oh, no, I can't. If you hand it to me, I would like to use it to do good and, and try and, you know, yeah. help the cause. But through me, it will end up... Causing even you know more colossal harm in my very powerful right. It would be
1: like Gandalf, hold this pint of Cherry Garcia for me, and he's like, (laughs) oh no, I would be terrible, I would be tempted. (laughs) Yeah, get it, eat it before I do, please. Yeah, Um, (laughs) I
0: can't.
1: But you you get the sense that the. Hobbits and Frodo in particular because of their innocence are able to resist it more than the rest of us uh, compromised fuckos.
0: They can and they can't. You know, I mean one one of the interesting cases there is um Deagle and Smeagol. So the ring is lost to a Sildor. He's carrying it, he gets attacked, and in the fracas the ring is lost and it falls into the River Anduin where a thousand years later a hobbit named Deagle who's out just hanging out with his cousin Smeagol, Picks it up. Now, Smeagol, they're river folk. But they're hobbits. So, river folk are hobbits. Yeah, they're like a a group of hobbits, a, a okay. subgroup of hobbits. So, nerds, if you it.
1: disagree, Doug
0: will be hearing from you. Yeah, exactly. I know. This is where I'm stepping out onto a, in an empty <laughs> air like Wiley e. Coyote. <laughs> so, he finds it. Um, he shows it to Smeagol. Smeagol is corrupted almost immediately because he sure. kills Deagle to get it. Right. And then sets off turning into Gollum. And it's not like Frodo, who, like, carries the ring for about a year, I think, over the course of the quest. And Frodo finally succumbs to it as well at the bitter end.
1: Yeah, but he had a year. I but mean, he made it. Like so he, one guy, he he got about five seconds, and the other guy did about a year. Right, and they're both so Frodo hobbits, Frodo in particular is sort of...
0: Well, yes, but I, I'm you know, just saying. That it's, all, I'm
1: not talking about the the genetic superiority of hobbits, Doug. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. Well, I sure like, am. No. What gets the <laughs> sense? You're a hobbitist. Yeah, you're a hobbit supremacist. That's I know right. it. No, I, I, what I'm saying is that I, I kind of feel like, at least in the movie, it's sort of implied that like if anyone's going to be able to resist this for any length of time, and ultimately you can't do it forever, it would be a hobbit. And amongst hobbits, Frodo is very pure. He reminds me a little bit of what we said about Dorothy. We might have even mentioned Frodo in this regard. I think we did uh, as a character who yeah. is
0: like, they're kind, but good. And that, right. that could and be can, bland. And can but.
1: somebody who seems just utterly vulnerable stand up against something that seems invulnerable? And that's really what you got. I mean, on one side, you have Sauron, this unseen, seemingly omnipotent force that commands armies of orcs and all sorts of stuff. And on the other side, you have this little guy
0: who's... You know, Three feet all tall.
1: Got, all he's got is Sam. He's just got this one. He's got one friend.
0: But I think that is well. I think Sam is the the secret weapon in a way. Uh, and Sam actually carries the ring for a little while too. If you remember, in uh, they do show this in the uh, in Return of the King. I think it actually happens in the book of the Two Towers. They kind of they they move things around a little bit in the movies versus the book. But anyway. Frodo, at one point, is incapacitated by Shelob the Spider and taken by a group of uh, goblins, I think, or orcs. And um, Sam manages to get the ring off of Frodo. And so, for a while, you think, oh crap, it's in the hands of the enemy now. And then Sam finally reveals, no. I actually managed to save it for you, Mister Frodo, when he comes to rescue him. And says like I, I got it. Don't worry, we're safe. And so he's carried it for a little bit too. And I think there's tension, right, where he's like, "Well, you got to give it back to me." He's like, "I don't know if I want to," right? Yeah,
1: just give me five more minutes. Wait. Yeah,
0: but they, I think, because you have them working together, like they're combined, kind of like super innocence and like decency. <laughs> well, yeah, wins the day. Like he's that's you know, a
1: very compelling story element. This relationship. You know, relationships are so key. Heart and relationships, and, and and making you empathize and buy in. I mean, Frodo by himself is a much less compelling story than Frodo and his best friend.
0: I think that's After. why, like the like the, I remember when I first saw Return of the King in the theaters, like the hugest applause line in the whole thing was when Sam throws him over his shoulder and says I can't carry it for you but I can carry you and like marches oh. him up the hill like that just got a huge huge reaction from the audience and I that's m- reason these
1: movies are dripping with heart they're wonderful in that way
0: uh, in the best it, yeah in the best way like it should be schmalty but like I think because you're putting again that it's that innocence and sh- and kind of like heart would be a Hallmark card, but for the fact that it's like it's all we've got in the face of almost certain annihilation by overwhelming force.
1: Well, I, I you know, I will defend that to the end, this kind of stuff. I think we get too cynical in storytelling. It's particularly in, in movies and uh, television. You know, we forget that, like, people feel things. We're emotional creatures. And the hobbits are the most nakedly emotional creatures. And you're right. They they, in the face of this huge threat and the fact that they are, you know, other creatures that maybe behave a little differently than they do, they get like a pass. They can wear their hearts on their sleeves. But you know what, everybody? We all can do that. You don't need permission. You don't need to be a mm-hmm. hobbit. We can all be vulnerable with each other if we want. Uh, so I think I think that is so, uh, you're right. I think that is the secret weapon. I mean, this is love. It's love versus fear, right? That's what people say. There's only two emotions. Mm-hmm. So Sauron obviously commands via fear. And then you've got this intense love. Not just amongst the fellowship, but in particular between these two.
0: And it makes sense that it's the kind of thing that Sauron doesn't factor into his you know, his plan, right? That you know, it's like, well, I, I wouldn't have thought that anyone could resist the ring long enough to find a way to destroy it.
1: Right. You know, this is where I get on my political soapbox because I think that, you know, I in our politics, but in a lot of politics, there is a, there is a cynicism. People who don't believe that there is a, such a thing as virtue, you know, or, or hope or or hope or justice or love. Like these are that no, these are things that you claim you believe in in order to manipulate people. But you know what, folks? None of that's real. Everyone's corrupt. They're just they're more corrupt than me. I'm corrupt, but they're
0: even worse. Which justifies no, me doing whatever I'm doing.
1: Right? Don't believe in heroes because heroes don't exist. And. I don't believe that. I know you don't believe that. No. And here we are with Sauron, clearly not. That's his That's his blind spot, even though he's a big eye. No, that's his blind spot. He can't even see that.
0: No, he can't.
1: Um, and can't even conceive of it.
0: Yeah, I think this is a good point to kind of work our way backward on the character. Okay. And talk about kind of his origins. Because again, uh, this stuff comes from the Silmarillion. But even Tolkien said, you know, nothing. nothing is evil at the start. So Sauron has a story as well of how uh, he he falls from grace and becomes who he ultimately becomes, and this will sound pretty familiar to anyone who's read even a hint of uh, kind of Judeo Christian theology because Tolkien is working off of that playbook. He's working off of a lot of mythological playbooks that he you know th- this is a synthesis of, I have of heard of that
1: this stuff. that Gandalf you know because he's from a race too, like a race of wizards and they're kind of like angels almost
0: that's a great way to describe them yeah so Gandalf and Saruman and all the wizards we meet in the story are uh, a race called Maiar so you've got the ranking goes you've got a being called Eru Iluvatar at the top that's basically God <laughs> and okay. he's the creator of everything in Middle-earth under Iluvatar, he creates a race of beings called the Valar. And the Valar are like the highest order of angels. They're more like gods in that they kind of have like functions, you know, like the god of this, the god of that. So you have Valar of different things. And then below the Valar are the Maiar, which is what Gandalf is. And there's like kind of a higher order of them and a lower order of them. And like, so Gandalf and Saruman, they're in the lowest order of these beings. Sauron is also a Maiar. He's in the higher strata. And, Saur- okay, and by
1: the way, not for the casual listeners, not to confuse Saurumon with Sauron. Sauruman is basically evil Gandalf, who works for Sauron.
0: Right. Well, again, didn't start out that way, right? He, right.
1: I'm just, you know, Cliff's Notes version.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's yeah. Gandalf comes to him in the Lord of the Rings to seek his guidance, to only to find that he's already fallen to. Uh, right. Sauron, and interestingly, when we can, well, we'll spend some time about Sauron later. We'll put some uh, a pin in that because I think we'll need to talk about the key figures that are sort of under his sway. So Sauron is not the first Dark Lord of Middle Earth. The first Dark Lord is a guy named Melkor, and he is the Valar who, kind of like Satan in the Christian version of the Bible, decides I'm done. I'm gonna go my own way. I'm gonna rebel. And who's coming with me? And he corrupts a myar whose name is Myron, or M-A-I-R-O-N. Oh, no! Myron!
1: Myron's like, <laughs> I'll come with you. Yeah. And it's like, no, Myron, it's fine. I, who else? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to use my... Twenty sided die.
0: <laughs> so Myron and Herschel Slenderman. A power. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, no. Uh, so that that is Sauron. Sauron. So Myron. Oh. Uh, Myron is a, a word that means like the uh, the admired, and when he eventually falls to become Sauron. Sauron oh, it's means a new, like the new name. It's like the abhorred is what oh. that means. Oh. You so, know it's
1: interesting. I heard that um, I think it's Satan means like the opposer or something. It's like. If you go back and you look at the root.
0: Yeah, it's uh, well to kind of jump ship to Satan for a second in, in like Judaism. Satan is a figure. He's not the devil. He's not like the opposing force to God. What he is, is he's the guy that when he's an angel and his function is when you go to heaven there's like, uh, you know, they have to evaluate you to see if you're worthy to go oh, in. He's the uh, he's prosecution. the he's the prosecution. Yeah. So he's yeah. not really a bad guy. His job is just to sort of make you know, kind of test you and see if. You're, oh, you're worthy. I got so many names. Oh, oh. we're coming oh, out. Charlie. Guns you're blazing. Going to
1: hell, Charlie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Sauron, I just love that idea like, you know, Sauron, I knew you when your name was Myron. Myron. <laughs> All right, so don't. Myron Sauron. Rosenblatt. Um, <laughs> My name is Sauron now. I'm very uh,
0: powerful. So uh, Sauron, before he falls, his job is working for a Valar named Aule the Smith. And ah. so this is where he, he would later learns. He be
1: immortalized in the song Werewolves of London.
0: Yes, Uh, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) took me a second to put it together but i i got there um so can uh, i
1: derail you that's the name of the game sorry
0: so no he's the um so he's the smith right he is a um he is a craftsman so this is the not where sauron gets the knowledge that will later enable him to build his fortress of Baradur and importantly the rings of power so
1: Baradur.
0: So he falls, he goes working for Melkor. Eventually Melkor is defeated. Um Sauron is not captured. Uh he Who defeats um, Melkor. Hmm? Who defeats Melkor? The uh the I believe it's well, the Numenorians, the Elves. Um the Numen so <laughs> Numenor is like a continent to the west off in the ocean. Uh as is Valinor. That's where so uh, Valinor is where the elves are from, Numenor yeah. is where humans are from. And uh, this is where I start getting you know, I'm sorry nerds. in the
1: movies. It's,
0: yeah, no, well, this is thousands of years before that takes place. Right, um, right, but this right. is where um uh there's there's but this e- is
1: that like that sort of uh, biblical concept of like a war between the angels and you know the devils or whatever demon Satan, and the other angels who ultimately, you know, yeah, yeah.
0: And I can yada yada this part because one, that's way too much detail for me to be able to cram into my head, and two, yeah. like a couple of key points. One, obviously, Saur- Sauron still has a corporeal body at this point. He is stripped, though. Uh, Eru Iluvatar sinks Numenor into the ocean at one point um, because it's become too corrupt. The Numenorians who survive are the decent mm. ones. They come to Middle Earth, and they are the progenitors of the line of like humans and kings that we know today. And so, like Aragorn. Who eventually becomes king at the end of the movies, is a descendant of Numenor. Like he that's what in his bloodline is what entitles him Hello, to that Hello, Numenor. Yes. As is it's um, so customary of, to say to uh, Gondorian royalty when they appear. <laughs> Hello <laughs> Numenor. Uh,
1: so yeah, Aragorn has like divine blood. Yeah, a and like in times removed, but it's in there.
0: Yeah, like in the books, he he has a longer lifespan than normal humans. He's said to live like two hundred oh. years or something, which
1: is also true about Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, so no kidding. If he's good like casting,
0: he's magic. So in that, uh, so one, uh, so it's sunk. It's again kind of a a, a nod to like the Atlantis myth. Um, but at that point, Sauron is stripped of a shape-shifting ability that he had. So at one point, he can turn into a werewolf. He can turn into a vampire. He can. He can look like it's really time to go to sleep. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can turn into a werewolf. He can turn into a vampire. He can't. Isn't that cool? Um, yeah, I so he can. Yeah. So he can do all this stuff. He's now like stuck in his like. You, dark I'm sorry. Did you form. say he
1: could turn into a vampire? Hmm. Did yeah. I say that?
0: Uh, no. No. I said it. Um, and I read it, I, I, I read it on a goddamn wiki. So, you know, it's true, okay. um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I haven't read this. I could really. turn into
1: a vampire. I just need to get bitten by one. All right. right anyway, but he has some shape shifting ability. Right. Well. I'm and sure there's a yeah. type of creature that's like a vampire that he could shape shift into.
0: But it is important that he has that ability, um, because he appears at one point when he's trying to get the elves to take the ring of powers and, uh, rings of power not the ring of power <laughs> of
1: powers booth powers
0: booth <laughs> <laughs> um he appears to them in like this form as um uh anutar i think is the name uh the gift giver or something he appears as an elf like you know this oh. good looking like uh salesman to get them to try and take it which okay. he does he succeeds in getting them to take the ring oh, interesting. So.
1: So he tricks the, the elves. They need to be coaxed into it.
0: He tricks... I mean, yeah, he tricks all of them you know, into taking it. The The men, the elves... The, the The interesting part is, I thought that he subjugates all of the races, like you said at the beginning. It turns out it's only men, because men are weak. Um, the elves... <laughs> Am I right, ladies? ladies? You know what I'm talking
1: about. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
0: Uh, no, The so the elves catch on to what Sauron is doing, and they take off the rings before anything bad happens. The dwarves... Oh. The dwarves are kind of dense, I guess, and they don't really give a shit. So it doesn't work.
1: Can we pause for a second and just talk about the races kind of in their general vibe? Mm -hmm. So, you know, humans, yeah, humans, we know humans, we are them. So then you've got their tracks, by the way, easily corrupted. And yeah, that Mm -hmm. sounds about
0: right. But capable Uh, of nobility, too.
1: Yeah, there's, yeah, every once in a while we do something right, but it's by accident. And then uh, the elves, what's their, they're certainly, because they're like immortal.
0: They are, they, yeah, uh, they're not unkillable, but they are. So they're immortal. Um, they are. They have some magic ability. They're like kind of keyed into that. Um, they are from this far off land of the west called Valinor across the sea, and then they they're, they reference that in the movies that they are their time on Middle Earth is coming to an end. Right, and they're, going they're on leave.
1: their way back to Valinor.
0: Right, they're leaving. So you get characters like Elrond and Galadriel, um, who are very 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 old and bore witness to some of these events which are ancient history by the time we catch up with Bilbo and Frodo. But they are important in that respect because they carry that knowledge with them, and they're able to act as these conduits for exposition and important information that our heroes need to complete their quest.
1: So that's what the elves have, exposition. That's their power. And pointy
0: ears. And
1: pointy ears, and they're very tall and blonde. Uh, And then you got uh, the dwarves. And the dwarves are—they're definitely like on the other end of the spectrum as sort of these kind of earthy characters. They're miners for one thing, with an yeah. e, not an o.
0: They live really under.
1: Cool. If you want to take them home. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> they, yeah. What's the deal with the dwarves? They,
0: they, yeah. They, they are. That's exactly it. They, they kind of keep to themselves because they live. They literally live underground most of the time. They are, you know, kind of. Noble, but kind of rowdy, warlike creatures. Like they're they're most like something like Vikings. Like they kind of ah yeah they kind of map onto like Vikings, but like from caves instead of seafaring people.
1: There you go. And the lady dwarves, which you don't see in the movies, have beards.
0: I don't know if that's true or not, but I, 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 I bet I heard they that do. was
1: true. I heard that was
0: true. I think there's a joke where they they say that in the movies. and then Well, Aragorn us,
1: goes, yeah. you know, it's the, the beards or whatever, yeah. but, but I think it's actually a reference to a real thing. Oh, okay. Uh, now, maybe, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe it was something I heard on a playground It's not true, but <laughs> I had heard that.
0: Uh, yeah, which, Lighter, which is a stereotype. Lighter,
1: softer beards. Right. Yes, I know exactly. Oh my God, we're gonna get canceled.
0: Yeah, and then the other race races that matter are the dark, scary ones, which are the the goblins, the orcs, the Uruk High, which are um, a
1: hybrid, right?
0: Yeah, they're like an orc goblin hybrid, but basically they are they are descendants of elves who were corrupted by ah. Sauron. So there's a little bit of this drop off. They're like out for revenge, kind of, for being ruined and some.
1: Anyway, just wanted to get all those uh, straight. So where did I I leave you with the, was this the, he still has a corporeal body at this point?
0: Yeah, no, I think we kind of got what we needed to get out of the backstory, which is that he, you know, he is, his deal is that he is, you know, even when he was good, his. He was focused on perfection and order. And you can see where, you know, that carries through. Like,
1: I realize I have a lot in common with this
0: guy. So like Melkor, Melkor wants to, um, you know, just kind of destroy Middle-earth just to conquer it. Sauron is a little different in that his beat is more about controlling the will of the people of Middle-earth. It's like he doesn't trust them to self-govern. He wants to be in mm. control.
1: Wow, and, he's like the ultimate mansplainer. Kind of.
0: Um, you know, this yeah. is how you should be doing it. My way. Yeah, and if you're not going to do it, I'm just going to use a magic ring to literally like take over your brain.
1: Uh, well, you know, like this is very much influenced by fascism and the whole concept behind it, right? Order.
0: Well, that's control. the and that's the that goes right into the poem, right? One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them. It, everything about Sauron is like one above all else, right? Yeah, me, and he, me, me. And he's defeated by a multiracial fellowship, right? He is, it's the, it's the, it's literally the. You know, it's
1: multiracial, but it's also pretty white, but yeah. Well, <laughs> at
0: least in the movies. Yeah, there's. Technically. <laughs> skin tone, <laughs> sure, but like heights and pointy yeah, ears. A couple and of them
1: were, were kind of tan, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: So. Yeah. It, but that is a very important part of it, right? It's a you know it is an alliance of different people coming together that ultimately manage to give really their only goal at the end is just to keep Sauron occupied enough to give Frodo and Sam a chance, who they don't even know if they're alive, give them a chance to get the ring to Mount Doom and, and destroy it.
1: Uh, I just want to say really quickly because I don't know if I'm going to get another shot at this. You're know, talking about the the multiracial. Uh, composition of the fellowship you know there is a great character that you i assume you've read the books is that correct?
0: i have read it's been a while yeah. but i have read them
1: yeah. it's been a while and i know what i get in the movies is is stuff that's sort of been maybe beefed up or, or, or altered in some way uh, though the spirit i think has been pretty honored i know arwen is kind of made into a bigger figure this is the uh, Liv tyler elf but eowyn from rohan right right she's Legitimately pretty cool uh, in the books because she does have that moment where she defeats the, you know, the Witch King, and the Witch King is like, no man. Can defeat me or something like that, and she fucking runs a sword through his head and kills him. And he's like, "I am no man." She like throws off her helmet. It's such a, such a cool moment, and I think that's actually in the books.
0: I it's been too long since I've read them to remember that. Well, but it's I in think... the
1: cartoon adaptation, so it's and pro- it's in the and it's in the live action. So well, I then that's like all
0: the thing. evidence you need. That's all
1: I've got. But I was <laughs> yeah. just gonna say, you know, while these are older works, uh, and 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 certainly you know male centric in a lot of ways, she's a legitimately cool character and, and gets a really great moment right there. You know.
0: Yeah. um, She is a great character. And I think also in that what's cool about her is that they do a good job of portraying this in the movie and that she loves Aragorn. Aragorn is already basically betrothed to Arwen, so he can't give her back. He he can't reciprocate those feelings, but she's willing to go be a hero anyway. And I think that there's a a lot of that in in the story that, again, we sort of talk about resonates about the the hero side of this is that, you know, it's like these people are probably going to fail. Uh, there's, you know, no, there's seemingly no hope, but they're gonna do it anyway. You know, Frodo's gonna carry. He shouldn't be asked to carry this ring, but he's gonna do it. Um, they're gonna, you know, step up to the plate and and do what's right. You're and, right. This you is
1: know. so resonant because as we head, I'm gonna do it again. But as we head into this election, there's so much talk of like defeatism. There's so many people running around and going, yeah, oh, I wish we had a different candidate, or he's going to lose, and I told you, and all this stuff. And it's like, why don't you just fucking get on your feet and do everything you can and then fail? I can imagine there were people running around being like, oh, God, they sent Frodo, not Bernie Sanders. No, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're closer, I think, than you, <laughs> than
1: you realize. Bilbo Sanders should have gone. No, but I mean, really, it's like this defeatism, right, versus... Hey, in the face of impossible odds, it doesn't matter, right? It matters that you do what's right and you stand up. And if you fail anyway, at least you can say you tried.
0: And a lot of the characters, I think this is a good chance, again, to to kind of segue to say someone like Saruman, right? Saruman is an interesting case because the the movie spends a lot of time showing us how – the ring specifically is this corrupting object that, like proximity to it will drive you to do things against your better judgment. Like Boromir dies essentially because he is corrupted enough to be tempted to doing stupid stuff by the ring. Um, right. He's the
1: guy, you know him from the memes. Yes. He's,
0: one does not <laughs> no, simply the- meme Sean Bean. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, we spend a lot of time with showing you know just how awful this ring is. It's like basically radioactive to be around it. Sauron never comes within a thousand miles of the ring, and he falls to Sauron. And it's it and the reason is really just he doesn't need this external force to take him down. What makes Sauron side with Sauron is ultimately this like well you know if I can't beat him, join him. Right. I, I can't, you know, Sauron, he is, you know, they, they. I think they dramatize this in the, in the Peter Jackson Hobbit movies or in the extended editions of those. But at one basically, at one point, Sauron becomes aware that Sauron is now, you know, coming back. He's amassing his forces and he is now a threat. And that's where you see the beginning of it. And then by the time we get to the Fellowship of the Ring, he is gone. He's, you know, he's just, you know, he's, what, what right. hope do so we I,
1: have? I, I, one can imagine that initially he was like, oh, that's bad news. Uh, and,
0: and then yeah, the more he no, thought yeah. about
1: it, never, never Sauron. Hashtag never Sauron. And then by the time <laughs> Sauron gets enough power, he's like, well, you know, honestly, uh Sauron makes some good points.
0: And he does. And even if he doesn't think that, he probably just thinks, well, I'd rather be on the winning team than the losing team. Sure. And what hope does the other team have? So I'm. Gonna and at this certain.
1: point, you're able to make the connections to modern events on your own. Sauron, of course, his power comes from the fact that he controls a mob of of drooling, disgusting, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, brain dead. No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm going too far. (laughs) (laughs) Almost. This Um, is why we lose. This is why our message doesn't resonate. Anyway, sorry. Continue. (laughs)
0: Um, So, but I think, you know, that's, again, you sort of see different aspects of this corruption, right? You see like, you know, uh, again, like Frodo corrupted slowly, Smeagol corrupted almost immediately, by the ring as opposed to other people who can handle it for longer. And then you get Saruman who, like I said, never comes anywhere near it and is yet corrupted. And then he indirectly corrupts others, right? You get Wormtongue who is, Oh, I love
1: Grimer Wormtongue. I love him. It's just, I don't love him as a character. I mean, I I love what he represents. You know what I mean? (laughs) He's the advisor to the King of Rohan. And, uh, He's, him, he, he's he actually, by the way, we talked about in the Cruella podcast about you get these characters once in a while
0: to <laughs> show up. Their name like, is Grima Wormtongue.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah, oh, my trusted advisor, Wormtongue. <laughs> yeah. He will tell me <laughs> truth, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it's, but he's got clearly this guy's bad news. Uh, anyway, yeah, the king is really under the sway, I guess, of Sauron indirectly via this,
0: via Saruman working through Wormtongue. Ah, uh, right.
1: okay. Yeah, this advisor who's. Not a good advisor,
0: right? And I don't, and I don't remember from the book how much of it is like magical in the way that Wormtongue kind of like corrupts him, or how much of it. Um, I, I like when it's a little more ambiguous. Like mm-hmm. again, like is the ring corrupting because it's literally you know working it a, 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 a an evil magic upon the people that are wearing it or near it, or right. is it just that the ring is corrupting people? Without that magic, it's just their their own greed is just coming alive.
1: Well, you know, I think um, the Lord of the Rings movies at the very least, and I think the books as well, from what I understand. I also listen to some of the BBC radio uh, adaptation, uh, but it fits in that nice middle space of like, it's not, you know, it's not the Harry Potter magic can do anything space, right? There's limitations on it. And then, of course, it still exists in a world where like, yeah you know, just plain old human frailty comes into play. So I, I know what you mean, though. In the movie, it's really implied that there's this, like, magical spell almost cast over the king because as soon as Grima is kicked to the curb, he, like, it, the color comes back in his face and, like, the cobwebs disappear from his beard and stuff. So <laughs> right. it is very magical in the movie. Still pretty cool. Oh, but that's cool, anyway. yeah. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. I mean, like, that's obviously more... Symbolic of a real thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, a lot of what makes this tick, I think, is, is that kind of question about, like, well, does it corrupt you more if you're already weak? Is it, again, is it bringing out these things that are in you? Now, there's obviously some power to it, right? It, it keeps Gollum alive for, you know, he's at least like 500 years old, you know, way at past his expiration date, and he is transformed physically into this creature, you know. Right. Uh, but he we, went
1: from Smeagol to Gollum, right. known for. That's, the guttural sound he makes. Right. That's
0: where his name comes from, right? Gollum. You right there, Doug? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually, you know, you, you surprised we haven't done- Gollum needs
1: a, an antibody test. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It's surprising we've not- do... I the not the <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, I'm surprised we haven't done more voices thus far from the
1: movie. <laughs> Anytime you want. Yeah, I know. We're you to, drop just... your Gollum on me. I'm ready. I want to ask you, by the way- I. Sorry.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's that same voice, by the way. It's like Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, like, it's like,
1: yeah,
0: it's like the only reason it works is like somehow Andy Circus puts enough pathos into it that it's not yeah. that voice. But it's still it's that voice. Sure.
1: Sure. Well, we have the improv version of it, you know, mm-hmm. where it's ready to go and it's. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs>
0: yeah, I wanted to ask you.
1: Uh, about Gob, if you recall from the books, because um, they do that cool split personality thing, that dual personality thing in the movie. Is that from the books or is that just an invention for the film?
0: I think there is some of it in the books. It's probably, again, more subtle. Um, yeah. Because uh, he's
1: conflicted in the movie they a do, little bit. He they, does have a good Gollum who's like, you know – yeah, they nice to you. He's like, yeah, yeah. you know, what I mean, like he has a conversation with himself.
0: Yeah, and I like what that conversation represents. I mean, you are man; you're they're outwardly manifesting in a way that could be cartoony. Although that kind of famous scene from the Two Towers where it, it happens the most, you know, it does start off with like the in in like comic relief, and it's like it's laughable until it's not, right? Until it's right, like there's
1: just really kind of this touching is set, scene.
0: It, yeah, it's like all of a sudden you realize like, oh, this is like an abusive relationship. Like he is well. You know, he's gaslighting himself.
1: I have refrained from talking about mental health on this podcast too much. But I've been on a journey with some stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. mind, body, physical pain stuff. And what I've learned is, first of all, I'm telling you folks your relationship with yourself can cause physical pain and secondly your relationship with yourself is a real thing you have a relationship with yourself the disparate parts of your of your psyche the biology of your brain you know from the lizard brain all the way to your higher order stuff i mean these things are literally Parts of you that have evolved on top of each other, so you do have a relationship between these things and how you feel about these various aspects of yourself. So it is a resonant concept, and to see it dramatized in the film, you're right. It, it's funny until it becomes really interesting and touching and and moving. And what I like about it, just from a cinema cinema photographical uh, standpoint is you have a cgi character but they shoot that scene as if he was a physical actor like with camera tricks like just changing the angle of the camera so when he's quote-unquote bad golem it's like this angle and when he's good golem it just shifts to this right. other they sh- side they like kind of switch left and a physical right actor the way they did it
0: yeah they, they switch- yeah
1: they do that and i think that's kind of neat it's like a low-tech version of something that's obviously very high tech because he's cgi
0: yeah. And they they do other subtle things. They, they make his eyes are different. You know, like he has kind of wider pupils when he's kind of the innocent Smeagol and they kind of get narrow and like his eyes get kind of different when he's Gollum. Hmm. Um And they, yeah, there is they definitely talk about him talking to himself in the book. He talks about himself in the third person. There's an interesting rewrite with Gollum in The Hobbit. So Gollum appears in The Hobbit. This is Gollum has the ring. Bilbo finds the ring in Gollum's cave and then he engages in a battle of riddles with Gollum uh, and the stakes are hey if Bilbo wins the battle then Gollum will lead him out of the cave where they are uh, because he's lost in the bowels of the Misty Mountains and if Bilbo loses the battle of rings Gollum will kill him and eat him and the battle ends with Bilbo tricking Gollum by asking the quote-unquote riddle what have I got in my pocket? Which is not really a riddle, and it's impossible.
1: <laughs> and then it just sort of advances forward. We don't really know what they yeah. do after that for a while, but they come out, and they're just on great terms.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> so, the, and of course, the thing in his pocket is the ring, and yeah. this is why Goll- Gollum eventually figures out that that's what he did. And, is you know, curses them, and you know he, he leaves his cave looking for Bilbo and his— drawn into the plot of Lord of the Rings eventually. But in the original version of the The 1930-whatever-it-is-of-the-Hobbit, it's slightly different in that Bilbo wins the one ring from Gollum in the the riddle battle as a prize for winning that battle.
1: Uh, And 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 the riddle was, if I may, Mm -hmm. what has two thumbs and loves blowjobs?
0: (laughs) (laughs) This guy! No, this (laughs) Never that before thumbses. So, um, so yeah, Tolkien had to go back and rewrite that because it's very clear the way Gollum is written in Lord of the Rings. Like he would never give it up willingly, ever, ever. But of course, he obviously had not conceived of the One Ring as being what it was. It was just a magic ring for as a plot device in um, in the Hobbit. So, Mm -hmm. just a factoid there about. The rewrite, but Gollum is is another character who's sort of in a way the voice of Sauron. You know he is an an unwitting agent of Sauron, but again, critically, he's the undoing. Right? That by the end, Gollum is uh, p- part uh, Companies Frodo and Sam through part of the journey. They part ways on bad terms, but Gollum, who you think is gone, catches up with them right at the end when they reach the fires of Mount Doom. And it's slightly different in the book and the movie, but basically Gollum's desire to get the ring back causes him to fall off of the cliff into the lava where the ring is destroyed.
1: Well, if I may, I mean, there's a powerful story there or lesson there in the sense that on the one side, you have this team uh, working together as as best they can. They're going to have conflict because that's interesting and that's what happens. But they're generally working together to achieve this end. And on the other side, you have people that are aligned with Sauron purely out of self-interest or operating unwittingly for Sauron out of self-interest in the in Gollum's case. You know, right. he's, not, he would, he's not an agent yeah. of Sauron, but he's acting in his own self-interest. And you can see how that's not really sustainable. Ultimately, that collapses.
0: Right. It's his selfishness and um, obsession over the ring that causes it to be destroyed.
1: Right. So when your alliance is built on just people watching their own ass, there is a time limit on that. That's not sustainable in the long
0: run. Right. Eventually, they, they turn on you. And it'll be interesting yeah. to see if we, I assume at some point, maybe we'll cover some villains from Game of Thrones but like that is you know taking that idea from this book kind of one turn further and saying all right we're going to deal with you know the very human ways people are self-interested as opposed to this kind of more fantastical version of it sure but um uh, you know i i kind of like that, that that's what it is in the right it's it's it, it, you get this meeting of like Sauron putting all this evil into the world and that evil ultimately becomes self-defeating in a way that like you kind of, we joked about with Disney villains having to all fall off a cliff because the hero isn't going to get his hands dirty. Yeah. And here it's a little different. Like Frodo has, at this, at the very end does fall. They're, they're about to cast the thing in the fire and Frodo says, nope, I'm keeping it. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he fails right at the end. And then Gollum fights him for the ring. And in the movie, they both kind of go over the end, but Frodo, Frodo grabs uh, the ledge and in the book, Gollum, uh, well, in both of them, Gollum bites the, the ring off of Frodo's finger and and then he does like, he kind of like does a little like dance for joy. He's so happy that he got the ring that he loses his footing and falls by himself um, uh, into the fire. And that's the, that is actually the end of Sauron. He is, I guess he remains. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's gone. He remains in the void. I That guess, was sort
1: but. of the last uh, vestige of him that was in the ring. Right. Once it's gone, is that, he's Is that gone. the idea? Yeah. It, that, by its destruction, he's, there's nothing left of him.
0: Okay. Yeah. Again, it's a horcrux. Just like in Harry So the Potter.
1: eye is wireless. It's
0: yes <laughs> yeah. By the <laughs> ring, I small eye, ball. <laughs>
1: right, I Yeah, the eye of Sauron. Yeah, that's a uh, okay. Well, yeah, very uh, nicely synopsized, Doug. Congratulations.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of jumped in on it here and there, but why Sauron works as a villain. Because again, he is a villain that you don't get sure. a lot of. And by the directly. way, you know,
1: it's been, I, I, for anyone paying attention to this podcast, you know, we have different ways in depending on the villain. And Sauron is part of such a legacy. And the story is is so uh, vast and, and well-known by so many people. It's worth it, I think, to walk through the story. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad we did it that way.
0: Yeah, and I think that the story is, you know, this is one where, a character like, you know, so as we sort of said with Dracula, like the, the plot of Dracula almost doesn't matter because the villain kind of... Right. But here I think...
1: You could talk about Dracula independent of his story and get all you need.
0: Yeah, Sauron you can. I think S- Sauron is very much like, because he is a, almost a symbol more than a character and a force of nature more than a character, y- the way he manifests is always through his effect on... The other characters and and the way they behave, and I think that that's a really interesting kind of villain. Again, it's like it's like Cthulhu, but not sleeping. Like he's he is more directly involved doing stuff at, right. through the story. So uh, so part of that, I think, we did kind of cover a lot of what makes him tick. But but to me, there's a couple of key components that make this a, a worthy villain in, in a story where you know you have so many interesting characters, and then you have the primary villain as a character who almost doesn't exist in the story as, one, he is an interesting kind of like doomsday clock, right? That, like, the closer we get to midnight, like, that's it. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's very clear, they make it very clear that, you know, if he gets his hands on it, all he has to do is get his hands on it, which is not hard. You know, you're, you've got to somehow physically overpower two three-foot-tall dudes with no combat training and no magic to get it. That's all yeah, you've got to do. funny.
1: It's not hard to imagine the sketch where it's like, he gets the ring and it's like, he's just this big guy, and he's like, oh, wait. I have no fingers. I think this throw <laughs> <laughs> should have been a contact lens. Yeah. Damn it! <laughs>
0: um, he's only a giant eyeball, by the way. In the movies, he's um, oh that, yeah, that's, like that's
1: pure movie invention.
0: Mostly, there's like a, a bit of description in Return of the King. They talk about the the tower of Barad-dur, his like stronghold, yeah. and the top of that tower is so high that it's mostly in the clouds, and you can't see it. he talks about at one point the clouds parting, and you could see like. A wisp of flame or something. It looks like an eye, and then it disappears or something. It's Oh it's a more wow! Like, they
1: really took that and ran with it.
0: Yeah, and I think well, a lot of that comes from these the the two guys, and I'm I'm gonna blank on their names now. Um, that but were these like kind of Tolkien illustrators that were heavily influential on the the look of the Peter Jackson movies. Um, So I'm sure one, I think one of them probably did a drawing of that right. and made it an eye. And they were like, yes. And it I've works. I've seen like some
1: of this art. I know what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think it's really yeah. effective for the movie. One, because again, it brings the care, it makes the character more of a presence because you can see him. But also like that first scene when like Frodo accidentally, you know, the ring lands on his finger. And first he realized I'm in this, like he's, uh, we should send the, when you put the ring on, you become invisible to the people around you. But right. what, but what actually happens is you're sort of. Half transported into this like world of wraiths, this like shadow world, and within that upside down. Yeah, you sort sort of, yeah. And within that world, you become like immediately detectable to the forces of to the the ring wraiths and Sauron. And when he puts that ring on, first he like sees like, you know, he's in a uh, a bar. And, like, you can kind of see shadow versions. Wait, any
1: I put this ring on, I could be in a bar? That's right. <laughs> well, I got I to gotta get my hands on this. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Well,
0: he puts it on, and, like, the people disappear. You know, they're kind of like shadows, and they disappear. And slowly, like, he kind of turns to look to the left. And, like, beyond the people, now there's this enormous, like, you know, flaming eyeball. And it's like I think it's appropriately scary. Yeah, like it's like, and he's and he literally says like one of the few lines that Sauron actually has in the movie. He says like, "I see you," and it's not like I hey there you are. It's like I see into you. You know,
1: hey, you know, whenever someone says "I see you," it's rarely good. Uh, Well, no, I guess there's like the Navi avatar "I see you" uh, greeting, but you know, there's something very primal about that when you're being observed. (laughs) In nature a lot of times It's by something that wants to eat you
0: So that's pretty scary Yeah and it's a big scary eyeball And like I think that's a very effective way Of like making you know what should just be an eyeball scary, and they get a lot of juice in the movie out of like you like flashes of it. Like Gandalf yeah. is about to touch the ring, and like for like two frames, the it's the eyeball, right? And then yeah. it's gone. It's a visual
1: medium; you need something.
0: Yeah, but it's it's uh, appropriate this year. But yeah, not not necessarily an eyeball in the movie. His his symbol, like it, like the orcs of Mordor, when they go into battle, they paint like a flaming eyeball on their shields and stuff. So that's his symbol. But hmm. um, yeah, the the eye okay. of Sauron is a little more symbolic in the books.
1: Anyway. Lot of good choices made in that adaptation, I'm just saying. Tons of them. Yeah. Really smart editing and, and production design. All right. So uh yeah, Doug, why is what does Sauron represent to you?
0: Uh, sort of like we talked about, right? It's despair. It's it's the it defeatism. And mm. every everybody, you know, it's like very few people they, they are told this ring is powerful, but really it's not it doesn't seem to give the wearer much power other than, you know, temporary invisibility while they wear it. Because of that, like, there's this great temptation associated with it. And I love that, like, the second you put it on, the second you're close to it, that temptation kind of turns you into someone you're not. Like, it it, it erodes your, your soul in a way that we've talked about before. Like, it's the loss of, of will, right? It's the loss of self. You're giving yourself over to Sauron. But you're not even aware you're doing it, right? It's a slower process, and it's all based on this idea of, like, we can't win. All I can do is take some temporary power for myself and maybe carve out some place to reign in hell rather than serve.
1: Well, this is very much like the Nazis, right? Because you had the genuine true believers who couldn't be particularly bright And then you had the opportunists, the people that said, look, this is what's happening and we're not going to stop it. So Mm -hmm. I might as well just go along with it uh, because what else am I going to do? Yeah. Uh, And so you can see that influence very much in this work. I I think that's a good point, though. I, I, you know, either it's about opportunism. Well, it's actually not either or because defeatism is at the heart of both of it. Right. Both of those. I was going to say on the hero side, defeatism on the villain side, opportunism. But it's really all part of defeatism. It's really all part of saying, you know what? You can't beat evil. It's too powerful. Right. So either you give up and you wait for it to get you or you join forces. I think that's right. And I think that's very much tied to what Tolkien had lived
0: through. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, we should uh, get to our fan casting. This okay. is this is hard. Um, one, the question is, you know, what are we casting? Are we casting an eyeball? Are we yeah. casting a voice? Are we casting the pre the the earlier version of Sauron before he loses his body. Yeah, this is um,
1: like casting Cthulhu. I mean, it's a little tough, but yeah, I guess he was physical at some point. You can try to use that.
0: Yeah, I, I think maybe the best thing you can do is maybe cast a voice um, because the physical appearance—he's mm-hmm. a shapeshifter so anyway. Christina Aguilera. Yeah, this is the voice. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think you need kind of a a, a, a gravelly voice, a bass voice. But not like it can't be like Vin Diesel, or he's going to sound like you know, a meteor. I am Groot. I am Sauron. So I don't know. I, I, I mm-hmm. they did. They used Benedict Cumberbatch for the Hobbit movies when they had him uh voice. Oh, and they had
1: more more Sauron in that.
0: A little bit, yeah, a okay. little bit. So Benedict Cumberbatch also voices Smaug the dragon in that as well. Right. So they just said this guy's got an amazing <laughs> voice. So
1: yeah, it's like well, we got Benedict for the day. Uh mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to read for Sauron too? Well, as long as you're here. Yep. Uh, it was Jay Leno, by the way. Oh, came, like, wow. Yeah, audio <laughs> engineering on that film. No, you're
0: kidding. Uh... Hey, Benedict, thanks for coming in. Um, hey. We have the Theron
1: script here. And yeah. I came here into 57th Studebaker, if you want to look <laughs> like that. And, uh, <laughs> well, I would go obviously with Jason I. Six.
0: That's pretty good, actually. He does have the, the voice for that.
1: I was saying it just as a joke, really, off of the I thing, but.
0: I I know I think that's the right answer. Um, he, <laughs> he actually like when you see depictions of uh, what Sauron looks like. They've done some like uh, Lord of the Rings yeah. uh, video games, for example, that take place in the Peter Jackson world yeah. and their version of Sauron. When you see him in flashbacks and stuff, to make the like prettied up version, right? The de- yeah. Sauron the Deceiver looks sort of Jason Isaacsy,
1: or like a little like Lucius Malfoy or something, you know? Which Maybe. is Jason Isaacs. I don't know. That's, Jason, what I'm, that's what i that's what i know okay
0: right. all right <laughs> just making sure i'm agreeing
1: with you <laughs> uh yeah all right well it's a tough casting obviously for an ethereal evil uh i do want to make sure we touch on the alignment Oh, yeah.
0: This is harder than he, it looks. Would
1: you, would you go with chaotic or neutral for, for him? Actually, I was thinking he's in a Or lawful. Law. I
0: think he's somewhere yeah. between, he's like a mix of lawful and chaotic, right? Where like.
1: Whoa. Interesting. Skips yeah. the
0: middle. Yeah. He kind of skips the middle because he's, I mean, yes, he's self-interested, but I don't think that's the guiding principle. Although self-interest is kind of his thing that he pollutes out to the rest of Middle Earth. Yeah he he's definitely falls in that like Darth Vader category of like he's trying to impose his will on everyone like he is trying right. to conquer or Hitler yeah, yeah or he yeah so there's the lawful side but the chaotic side kind of comes in in that like but he is there to like you know impose misery right it's not just an evil like an you know I, evil is a side effect of me trying to control everything it's like no i want to control everything so i can be sadistic to you
1: yeah it's a little bit like the uh a tyrant with a capacity for tantrums or, or losing his temper. You know what I mean. It's yeah. like I want to instill order. I want to be in control. And if you run a foul at me, I will come at your ass.
0: A little bit, yeah. I, you know, although I think Sauron, I couldn't picture him having temper tantrums. He seems very you know, even keeled as a a villain. Like you don't get the sense that he is. Well, I'm
1: pretty sure in the movie, there's a couple of points where he's like, you know, that eye is kind of losing its shit, but that might be a movie thing.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm sure there are, there's definitely points where he's upset at the way things are going, but I don't get the impression he's like, you know, again, did you use it when we've come back to before, but like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas, just like (laughs) unpredictable, like fits of rage. Um, Sure. You know, he's too controlled for that. All right.
1: If he's more calculating, and I think for a being that's been around as long as he has, that makes sense. Maybe
0: he turns, turns lawful. That's
1: interesting. Yeah. I mean, a law of his own creating, but
0: you yeah, know, right. yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think he's sort of half, half, one foot in each of those.
1: All right, we well, what's left, Doug? The title fight. Oh, of course. So well, this will be uh, Sauron versus Blackbeard. Blackbeard versus
0: Sauron.
1: I did actually I always forget until we end up in it, but I did think about this for a second. And uh I mean Sauron definitely has the edge and Blackbeard's going to have trouble getting rid of a gold ring. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's kind of right in his wheelhouse for for a weakness. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think? Then? Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. Again, we usually tend to give it to the supernatural villain anyway. On the other hand, if we're talking mano a mano, um, it also, this sort of depends on what incarnation of Sauron we're getting. Because in theory, as a disembodied eyeball uh, at best, he can't directly do anything to Blackberry. He has, he has one weakness, which is you know, the ring, right? The, the ring could be destroyed, and Blackbeard was willing to like run his own ships aground, like there were there were indications that he would do that if it was advantageous. So I could see him saying, "I don't want this, you know, this Dark Lord on my ass and and all of his armies. Like if I just destroy this ring, he'll be gone, and I can do whatever I want. It's just one ring. And, mm. I, you know, I don't need it. Well, um, but it's yeah. but again, the ring is so corrupting. I you know uh, you know I
1: look I admire your mm-hmm. attempt to make it seem. Like it's, we don't really know how it would go, or maybe there's an there argument to be made. But the truth is, Blackbeard doesn't have the purity that we've learned in these stories is required, really, to, to wield the ring and ultimately destroy it. I mean, he just doesn't. He's much more, I mean, at best, a Boromir, you know, right. and that's being generous. So I, I, I think, yeah, his, it sounds like he would kind of fall the same way the human kings fell, I imagine he would just fall under the thrall of Sauron.
0: Probably the most likely outcome. Yeah, I mean, like, like I mean, again, the movie is and the or the books are telling us nobody can resist this thing. Even the guy who's best equipped to resist this thing still fails. You know, the, yeah, it, it is right. It, the only reason it's not an inevitability is that he has a second person there to push him the rest of the way.
1: And also, blackbeards. Pretty prototypical self-interest here. So, I, you know, he's going to go do what's best for him. And it seems the easiest play might just be like, I'm the Sea King now.
0: (laughs) I'm an invisible (laughs) pirate. How do you stop an invisible pirate?
1: So I think he would just be like, cool, I'm going to go where the power is here. Mm -hmm. Thinking that like, oh, ultimately turn to my advantage. But we know a Sauron that doesn't work.
0: Yeah. So there we go. Uh, Sauron wins this one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, big surprise! Can't wait to see who he goes up against next.
0: <laughs> well, we can tell you he's going up against next. We're going from one Goblin King to another. We're going to Jareth from Labyrinth.
1: <laughs> oh well, I'll save my theory for how that might go. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to blow my wad here. Yeah. Uh, don't yes. underestimate uh, David Bowie. Bowie from Labyrinth, <laughs> Jareth. Yeah. Very cool. Very excited for that. And we'll be having a special guest for that, correct?
0: Yeah. Uh, all, assuming everything goes according to plan, we will. We're, gonna, we're really excited about that. So We'll
1: release that, I guess, on our social media if that's mm-hmm. the way we'll do it. Okay, cool.
0: Yeah. Uh, so a couple of admin things. I, I think that covers it from Sauron, right? Anything else you want to talk about? We've been going a while. No, this has been a
1: pretty in-depth one, and it deserves it. I, I The one thing I will – I'll drop just a recommendation as a board game geek. You know, these – these worlds obviously are really fertile and they're used and as you mentioned some video games and stuff like that. There've been some good ones. There is a really fun, I think it might be out of print, but it's a two-player board game called Lord of the Rings The Confrontation. And you play as either the forces of light or the forces of darkness, you know, Sauron's forces or the Fellowship. And it's just super well-designed and super fun. It's a strategy game. So, you know, you have all your little characters there. It's a little, it's a little like a lot of games. It has stratego elements where you don't see where the other, what the other pieces are. But, you know, you have your Aragorns and your and your Frodo's and everything. And, and your goal is to get Frodo into the other side of the board, which is Mordor. And you're going up against, you know, the Cave Troll and Shelob and Witch King and all these other ones. And it, they have different powers. And the, and the good guys have smaller numbers. You know, their, their brute force is lower. But they have the ability to kind of weave and bob a little more and, and do things like that. It's really this asymmetrical design that's wonderful. And I believe it uses the art that you talked about. Hmm. Um, for all the design and the board and stuff like that so if you can find it on ebay lord of the rings the confrontation or if it's back in print you like board games and you want a good solid two-player game and you like lord of the rings can't miss Hmm. super great all right also i understand this dungeons and dragons thing might have been somewhat influenced as
0: well (laughs) well every (laughs) fantasy thing that came after lord of the rings is influenced by lord of the rings um i can't think of anything that would not be. Um, no, that's a good recommendation. I will recommend Leonard Nimoy's The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins because it's awesome. And it's Leonard Nimoy singing a song about uh, Bilbo. And it's and very And that's on cute. YouTube. You can find it, yeah, if you look for it. So, All right. That's that. Um, so, uh, admin, um, if you like what we do, um, please drop us a review on iTunes. That's really helpful. Um, not only does it make us feel warm and fuzzy, it helps us uh, in terms of getting the word out to other people about the podcast, and even more importantly, we want to hear from you. So um, we're on the Twitter sphere as at podcast but evil. So if you got feedback, uh, people you want us to see us cover, um, you have thoughts on the fan casting or um, battles, or just any comments at all.
1: Yeah, did um, we make any mild clerical errors? We want to hear from you.
0: Did we mispronounce Tolkien's bestiary? <laughs> did we <laughs> did we slightly screw up the the ancient theology? Of, of Middle Earth. Uh, yeah, I want to be corrected. Wrong? Would
1: Blackbeard ultimately triumph over Sauron? We want right. to know what you think. Uh,
0: I think that'll do it, right, Dan?
1: I believe so. Uh, if I may, Doug. Yes. Gentlemen to evil. Clink. Clink. In
0: the middle of the earth, in the land of lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire with his long wooden pipe, fuzzy woolly toes he lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him bilbo bilbo baggins he's only three feet tall
1: bilbo bilbo baggins the bravest little hobbit of them all